Hello, church, and uh, welcome to this first installment of May of our digital worship times. Uh, I don't mind telling you that I'm kind of tired of this whole lockdown, and I've been kind of going into lockdown limbo, and that's our message today. So everything has changed. In a matter of days, really the whole world has changed. We are in lockdown. And I have a photo for you that maybe helps you. It helped me a lot. Here's a little baby uh, wondering what is going on. It says, shelter in place without going crazy. And obviously, I think that's mom in the background who has literally gone crazy. But shelter in place, uh, lockdown, now what? Now we're in limbo. This whole idea of limbo, I want to talk to you about that today. Really, the idea of limbo first kind of happened in, in the Catholic Church. It was an idea uh, originated by some Catholics, Roman Catholics, uh, to talk about a state or a place where uh, people might dwell between heaven and hell after this life. And so they had this concept, and they really talked about it. It's, it's in a lot of the great artwork. Here is um, Christ in Limbo. This is kind of a scary painting if you want to look it up and, and look at the detail more closely. It, it, it is really wild. This was done in 1575, talking about Limbo, this, this uh, concept. The Limbo of the Patriarchs, that's our next photo here. Uh, this is seen as a temporary place, a, a state for those who died but they were in friendship with God, but they could not enter heaven because they had to wait until the redemption of Christ. So that was a way that the Catholic Church uh, tried to remedy that situation, what happens to those who die before Christ comes. So they were in limbo. And then they even went so far as to talk about limbo of the infants. And this is particularly um, kind of sad because this was applied to children who died before being baptized. And so they made a big deal about this. Well, what happens to these kids? Obviously, they were born in original sin, but they had not committed any personal sins. So what happens? Well, okay, let's just put them in limbo. And, um, you know, the church has finally stepped away from this concept, this theory of limbo, but it was still part of the church as recently as April of 2007. So perhaps one idea of limbo that may have come from the scriptures is the scriptures in Matthew 27, verses 50 to 53. Listen to this. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. This is Jesus on the cross dying. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Then the earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. Then they left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, and they went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared 
to many people. This is not talking about Jesus appearing. This is those people who were dead. I mean, can you imagine these chosen saints who, who are resurrected after Jesus rose on Easter Sunday and began to walk around the holy city? I mean, what a trip it would be to see somebody who died 10 years ago or 100 years ago. Wow, weird. They're cruising around Jerusalem. Uh, it kind of makes me feel like limbo and zombies somehow should go together, and, and probably that's been done. But notice that these saints who rose from the dead the moment Jesus died, but notice that they waited until Sunday after Passover to enter the city. What, what's that all about? I, this is one of those unknown things. And I've looked at this scripture before, and I, I don't see it real critical to our salvation or understanding, but, but it is kind of interesting. And, and, you know, take a look. Look it up. Now, I want really today to talk about a kind of a second view of limbo, kind of the state that we're in today. And here's the way it's defined by Merriam-Webster, as an intermediate or a transitional place or state. Or another meaning is a state of, of restraint, a state of confinement, a state of neglect, or a state of oblivion. Uh, the idea here is that the graduate was in limbo for a while, uh, uh, trying to decide what to do next. The third uh, meaning here is a state of uncertainty. And wow, that really describes where we're at today. I'll tell you, I feel like I am in limbo today. I'm in lockdown limbo. How about you? Do you feel like you're in lockdown limbo? Are you in a state of limbo? Are you in a state of uncertainty? So the question is, now what? Is it, you know, we don't know how long this is going to go on. We were hoping for some good news about opening up, and our county actually has been very fortunate. We've had very few cases. We've been blessed. And yet the whole state is still pretty much on lockdown. So, what do we do while we're waiting? What are you going to do? What are you going to do while you're in limbo? You know, it's interesting because this was a question that the disciples had to ask themselves too. You see, they were in that time between Easter and Pentecost, and they were kind of in limbo. They were in an uncertain time. They, they didn't know exactly what to do. I mean, Jesus would appear for a moment, and then he was gone, and he appeared like 10 times, and, and sometimes the disciples were there, sometimes it was to an individual. It was always to believers, but, you know, he wasn't there all the time. He wasn't exactly telling them what to do, although he had these moments with them. And we're going to be looking at one of those. This is in John chapter 21, and I encourage you to find that place in your Bible. Here we see the disciples. They had followed Jesus for three years. They had uh, expected great things. They expected the kingdom of God, that they were going to rule in the kingdom of God. They expected the, the removal of the ouster of the Romans. They were going to take charge. They were so excited, and yet... None of that happened. What, what happened was their leader died, and with him, their hopes and their dreams. And you know, when you're in limbo, 
you're kind of fretting about what is and what could have been and what used to be. You know, I, I, I think we are going to be facing new normal. And I, I would kind of liken it to that situation that we all found ourselves in. Do any of you remember going to the airport before 9-11? I mean, you could go to the gate. You could welcome people. You could send people off. It was fun to go to the airport. It is not fun to go to the airport now when you have to go through security and there's and all of that. We're in a new normal. We are not going back to the way it used to be. No matter how much I enjoyed that way, it's gone. And so that's kind of the situation I think we find ourselves in now. What's the new normal going to look like? How do we as a church adjust to that? Well, one of the adjustments is that we're doing church this way. And uh, thank you for being a part of this. And and participating in this with us. It's the best that we are able to do right now since we're not able to meet together. And I was kind of discouraged this week when I heard our governor, Governor Newsom, say that it could be months. For sure it's going to be weeks and weeks, but it could even be months. So we're going to try to keep in touch. We're going to try to keep together with you, and we're going to try to help you through this limbo. I need you to help me too because I'm feeling in limbo. Well, after this sense of limbo, after Jesus died, there was some hope because he came back. And so then the disciples had to say, well, now what? What's going to happen? And so right now we are on the road to Pentecost, to seeing what is going to happen in the church. And Jesus said it was going to be better that he would leave and send his spirit, and it was going to be better than they could even imagine. But they're not there yet. They're still in limbo. Let's take a look at the scriptures. This is John 21. We're going to begin at verse 1 and go through 14. Later, Jesus appeared again to his disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and then two other disciples. It's interesting that there was these two other disciples, but it doesn't really say who they were. It, it could have been some of the original 12, but maybe it was just some other followers of Jesus uh, who happened to be with those disciples on that day. Um, Verse 3 is interesting. So here they are. They're at the Sea of Galilee in limbo, wondering what to do. And here's what Simon Peter says. I'm going fishing. It, it, very interesting. You know, the disciples will go, well, we'll come too. We don't have anything better to do, so let's go fishing. And so they all said that. And, and then they went out in a boat. And was, was normally their fishing procedure was to go at night. That was the best time. And so they went out fishing at night, but it, the scripture tells us they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. Now, many scholars have uh, wondered about this. Was it early morning? Was the sun in their eyes? What, what, what was going on here that they, they couldn't recognize Jesus? Did Jesus look different? Well, something after the res uh, something during the time of resurrection, Jesus' appearance was different. Um, 
And, and so there was a spiritual recognition, but the physical recognition was sometimes difficult. So they're looking and they're, who is that there on the beach? Well, I'm not sure, you know, and, and so there's kind of this calling out to each other that's happening. Uh, the disciples couldn't see who it was, but then they could hear him. And, and Jesus calls out. And, he, and the New Living says, fellows, you know, and, and the translation really in the Greek is children. You know, it's like, hey, kids, how you doing? It's, it's this whole kind of thing of, I, I think maybe kind of, hey, boys, how are you? What's the... And, and so Jesus calls out to them, but he, but he kind of refers to them as youths, as kids. And he says, have you caught any fish? No. You know, no, they replied. You know, these are professional fishermen. And they were at the best time of the day. They, had, they knew the area, and yet they hadn't caught any fish. I guess that's why it's not called catching it's called fishing, but, you know, anyway. So then Jesus says something to them, and he had said this before. He said, throw out your nets on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. I mean, could Jesus see from the shore that there was a bunch of fish right there? Uh, they'd been working all night. Could they not see that? I think Jesus created fish, so... He could make the fish appear there. Whatever you believe about that, they got a great haul. Look at this. So they did. They, they, they listened to Jesus. They did what he asked them to do. They threw out their nets on the right side, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple uh, Jesus loved. Now, this is John's code name for himself. He doesn't refer to himself. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. But we know it's John. Then John said to Peter, he looked, he squinted, and he said, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he'd stripped to, for work, and he jumped into the water, and he headed for shore. I thought it was kind of weird. Why would you put on your jacket before jumping in the water? The other guys could have brought it in. It would have been dry. But I, I don't understand why he did that. But isn't it cool? The Bible tells us what happened. And that's what happened. The others stayed in the boat, and they pulled the loaded net to shore. They were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting. It was waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. It's interesting to think about this charcoal fire because it takes a while to get that developed and set. And as we're going to be looking further in this chapter, we'll see that that charcoal fire is reminiscent of one not very long before that Peter stood at. But that's coming. Not today. So they were at a charcoal fire. Interesting that John includes that little tidbit of information. And there was already some bread. Where did Jesus get the fish and the bread? I don't know. He can do it. He says, though, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Now, I, I like that because Jesus has fish. He could have as many fish as he wanted. He could have as much bread as he wanted. On that very hillside, he had done a miracle with fish and bread. And here he is today saying, hey, bring some of what you've got. 
and let's put it together. Verse 11 tells us, Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore, and there were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Look at these tidbits. Okay, they counted the fish. And John included that. Can you imagine John's writing this later and he goes, oh man, I remember that day. We caught 153 large fish. They were big. Yeah, man, it was a great day. And he's telling this story. I guess they threw the little ones back. I don't know. But, but they had a, a huge catch. And he remembers that the net didn't tear. And then Jesus says, now, now, now come and have some breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Now they're up close, they're right there. And it says, they knew it was the Lord, and yet there was something different about Jesus. And yet they knew it was the Lord. Verse 13, then Jesus Serve them the bread and the fish. Verse 14 tells us that this was the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. When we think about the disciples, they're uncertain what to do. Now, there's a couple of times in the scriptures that tells us they were told to go to Galilee, to go to the mountain. Could it be where the Sermon on the Mount was preached? Right there near the sh uh, shore of the Sea of Galilee. And they were told to go there and wait for him. And, and so perhaps that's why we find them together on that shore this day. So I wonder, what is our response? What, what's what's going to be the disciples' response to being with Jesus, to spending this time with him? What do you do when you're in limbo? Well, for the disciples, the answer was go fishing. But know this, you're not going to catch anything without Jesus' help. So gone fishing. They went back to what was familiar. Uh, Peter was returning to his old occupation, something he was very aware of. There's a lot of conjectures. Why did he do this? What was his reason uh, to do this? Was he, was he abandoning his work for Jesus? Did he just not have anything better to do? Was it, was it for comfort that he went back to the familiar? Why did he do this? Did he not have anything better to do? Was he in limbo? Perhaps he had given up his preaching commission. He had always been one to proclaim Jesus. But at this point, He's kind of on the outs with Jesus a little bit because he had denied Jesus. And I hope that you'll come back and join us next week for, for that story. I don't know, maybe, maybe Peter needed the money. Maybe he was, they were broke, I don't know. But whatever the reason for going fishing, they did. They went, but they didn't catch any. Now, some would say that God did, would, would not bless them with a catch, but wait. He does. So when you are in limbo, go fishing, but do it for God. Go fishing for God. Now, Peter had been called to be a fisher of men. 
and so are we. We're going to look at Luke 5, 4, where Jesus says to Simon, later to be known as Peter, now go out to where it's deeper and let down your nets and catch some fish. This is right before the calling of Peter. And, and so this is that moment. Jesus has been teaching on the shoreline. Peter's been in the boat. He's been mending his nets. He's been doing stuff. And he's been listening. And he's, he's hearing this guy who steps in his, into his boat as a preaching platform. Mostly maybe because Jesus needed to preach to Simon. But So Jesus says, hey, let's go fishing. Let's go catch some fish. And here's what Peter says. Master, we've worked hard all last night, and we didn't catch a thing. And we're professional fishermen. What do you think you know? You know? But then he goes, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. That was a good decision to say, God, what do you want? What are you telling me to do? I've tried my best. Okay, I'll do what you say. And Peter does. And this time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boats, and soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. Now, this is that first great catch, and we just talked about the second great catch at the end of, of John. And when Simon Peter, when he realized what had happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus, and he said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I am too much a sinner to even be around you. Peter was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others that were with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also, they were amazed. And here's what Jesus says to Simon. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, it says they left everything and followed Jesus. What do you mean? They left that huge catch? Wow. Peter just had two great catches. And yet... Jesus wanted to get across to him and a message for him because Peter was called to fish for people. And I think this second great catch is there to remind Peter of what he's supposed to be doing. You're not supposed to be sitting around in limbo. It's time to get busy. It's time to go fishing, but doing it for God. Number two, when you're in limbo, recognize that Jesus is the one who brings success. There was another time in Matthew 17, 27, where Peter is told to go fishing to meet a need. At this time, it's to pay his taxes. And here's what Jesus tells him. So you go down to the lake and you throw in a line. Open the mouth of the first fish you catch and you'll find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. So uh, this whole idea, should, should uh, Peter pay his temple tax? And, and there's a miracle. Uh, I would like to go, I'd go fishing too if I could find a nice silver coin in each fish mouth, but uh, this isn't a peculiar situation. It's a miracle. This is the only other time we hear about Peter going fishing, and it was to meet a need. 
And I love it that, that he got enough money to pay his tax, but also Jesus' tax, too. So it's kind of tax-paying time, so whatever that helps you with, go ahead with that. Uh, number three, when you're in limbo, great success, know this, comes only with God's help. They caught 153 large fish. Peter was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught once again. And just as before, when they followed Jesus, they had great success. And the message today maybe is for you, even when you're in limbo lockdown, there's things that you can do for the kingdom of God. God has put the whole world on lockdown. Well, I wouldn't want to attribute that to God, but God can use that virus for good. Ask God to guide you out of your limbo and then into doing something for Him, and He might just make it great. I want to tell you about a couple things. I talked to Joe. And Joe had a care provider coming to their house. And this was the last time that she was going to come. And she began to tell Joe about her life, that she lived in a town called Paradise. Well, we know about a year and a half ago, Paradise burned. And she heard about the fires coming, and she's standing in her house in Paradise. And she's going around from room to room, and she's praying. And she's looking at the stuff, and she's letting go. She's sure her house is going to burn to the ground. She's going to try to get out. What does she take? What? And she's praying. Now, th this is not a particularly godly woman, but she's relating this story to Joe. And Joe hears this, and he says, you know, God was preparing you for something. And Joe begins begins to witness to this caregiver, the only person really who comes to their house uh, during this time. And he starts to tell her about Jesus. And he asks her more. And the really cool thing is that her house did not burn. And the house is around there. And, and, and Joe's talking to her and, and says, praise God that, that he heard your prayer. And even though you're not a spiritual person, this is a great time for you to turn your attention to God. He, he used a situation in paradise, and now he's using a virus so that you could be here today and hear about his word. And Joe gave her a Bible, and that was the last time they were going to meet. So I just invite you to pray for this young woman, a caregiver, who is very close to coming to Jesus. I know I've committed with Joe that we will pray for her, and I invite you to pray for her too. I want to tell you about Ruth. Now, Ruth has under, undergone a lot of uh, treatments and her health and her, she's weak and, and all this. And normally this time of year, she's putting in a garden and she's kind of fretting a little bit when all of a sudden there's a knock at her door and a neighbor comes and he says, Ruth, you know, I, I, I know this is a tough time for you, but we want to put in your garden. And so this neighbor comes up um, the husband had had a stroke for years ago, but he's there trying to help and do whatever he can. The wife is there, and, and, and they are putting in a garden for Ruth because she cannot do it on her own. And she is just feeling, what a blessing. 
what a blessing. And, and this neighbor was sitting at home thinking, what can I do? And she was wondering and wanting and praying, what can I do? And it just came to her, I could go to my neighbor who can't do anything right now, and I could put their garden in. You know, that was kind of a, a small thing for her at that moment to decide to do that. Wow, that was a huge thing for Ruth. She was so touched and so blessed. And you know what? That blessing is going to keep on going because there's going to be vegetables and there's going to be a harvest because of the faithfulness and the kindness and the, and the generosity of a neighbor. Not just sitting around in limbo, but doing something. I tell you, there's, there's been many, many other stories of people running errands for each other. There's been stories about well, I can't do any much for you right now, but I will pray. And, and boy, I have just been very tuned into that because when somebody calls me and says something, I'm going to say to them, well, let's pray. Let me pray for you. Let me pray with you over this. And so I just, that's been a, a, a more bold practice even on my part in this time because I'm praying for people because they're in limbo and because they're hurting and because some of them are finding something to do, but others are not, and some need help. I, I think about Jackie being in the hospital, and, and we can't even go and see her. And, and you know what? I, as I talk uh, with family members, I find out, well, she's keeping her sense of humor. And that gives me a good sign that there's some healing ahead for Jackie. So I, so I just pray for her. I can't visit her. I can't do the things that I would like to do, but I can pray. And so can you. We need to pray for one another. If nothing else, at least pray. When I want to close, I want to give you a benediction here of one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. And it says this, imitate God. I, I think that's a great thing for us as Christians to do, to imitate God. God is just not going to sit around He's going to get into action. And if, if, if we will imitate him, he will give us direction on what we should do. So the scripture says, do this, therefore, and by the way, in everything you do. So imitate God in everything you do. Asking yourself that wonderful question, what would Jesus do? What can I do? I can't do everything, but I can do something. And the reason you do this is because you are his dear children. And I think that's what Jesus was saying to those disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. You are my dear children. Hey, fellas, boys, come on, we're going to have breakfast together. So do something. In everything you do, imitate God. And then verse 2 tells us, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ he loved us, and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. I invite you to consider these words from, from the Bible, God's message to us as we pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I just thank you for all that you did to make a way for us to have a relationship with you. And Lord, right now, there's a lot of things that we can't do. 
And so, Lord, help us to put those aside and not fret about those. Because, Lord, there's a lot of things that we can do. And so, Lord, I just invite you into my life anew and open my eyes to see whatever I can do to make a difference in somebody's life right now. And Lord, I pray for this woman who visited Joe. I pray for that neighbor and ask a blessing upon her life. I thank you for all of those who ran all those errands. Lord, help us all to do something. It's time to not sit around in limbo, but to get busy doing something for you because you have called us, each one, to be fishers of men. And Lord, whatever way we can praise you, whatever way we can witness for you, whatever way as we come across people, they just might be more open to hearing about you, Jesus, right now during this pandemic than at any time in their life for a long time. Lord, let us use those opportunities to live a life filled with love. And if we'll just love them, you will make the difference. We'll plant the seeds. You grow the crop. And we ask all of this in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. And if you are led to do something special, I would just love it if you would share that with me. You could... Um, contact us through the website or the email or a text, whatever way you do that, I would sure love to hear from you things that God is leading you to do. God bless you as we continue to serve him together.